Good day. This is the 38th edition of the Free City Radio podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph in Montreal. Thanks for being with us. Um, it's great to uh, share with you uh, an interview and some music again on Tuesday. Uh, we release this weekly podcast every Tuesday. Thank you to everybody who has subscribed so far. Um, if you like what you hear or find it interesting or both, um, please tell a friend uh, and encourage them to subscribe to the podcast. Let them know that this is going on. Uh, this is obviously a very grassroots effort, um, and I rely on networks of artists and activists and friends to spread the word and also for the content and the interviews that you hear here every Tuesday on the Free City Radio podcast. So thanks again for uh, listening. This is the 38th edition, and um, it's a pleasure to uh, be with you today. It's spring in Montreal, which is a good thing um, for those of you uh, who know winter is serious business here, uh, so spring is always a welcome return. On the show today, I wanted to feature an interview about the Medu Art Ensemble. Um, that was a collective of cultural activists and cultural workers uh, based in Botswana during the height of the anti-apartheid resistance movement in the late 20th century. Um, recently, there's been an exhibition and also a book uh, looking at uh, the work of Medu. And a friend of mine uh, in South Africa, Aziz Chaudhry, uh, sent me an article uh, that was written to sort of explore some of the ideas and also highlight some of the work um, of the uh, art collective. Um, this really illustrates um, the inherent relationship that existed um, and of course still exists within social movements around the world and, and movements for liberation between artists and uh, struggles for change. Um, and this was most certainly the case in Southern Africa uh, in the context of liberation struggles against colonialism, um, not just in South Africa, but also, of course, in the Namibia and the surrounding regions of Southern Africa. Researcher and writer Cindy Lee McBride uh, wrote an excellent article about Medu, uh, which I, um, I got the chance to, to explore and spend some time with. And I thought it would be... Um, important to hear um, Cindy Lee's perspective about Medu. Cindy Lee is a writer um, and researcher from South Africa who's currently based in Switzerland. Um, so we talked about her research and her work and her reflections as a South African about the work of Medu um, Art Ensemble and uh, some of the basis for that article uh, that was published uh, about it. Um, which I think is, is really fantastic. I'd encourage people to check out Cindy Lee's website to learn more information about her own work and also uh, links for various articles. Uh, you can find that at stmcbride.com. And the article which came out uh, this April is called The Anti-Apartheid Posters of Medu, and it was published by New Frame. So here's our conversation. Um, thanks for tuning in, and I'll just... Uh, leave you with our exchange. Okay, well, today I'm joined by Cindy Lee McBride, uh, who is a researcher and writer from Johannesburg. 
and is right now a PhD candidate at the Center for African Studies at the University of Basel in Switzerland. Um, Cindy Lee holds a MA degree in international relations um, and also uh, political communication um, and has worked in human rights, governance and development. Her essays and short stories have appeared in Africa as a Country um, and many other publications, including the Mail and Guardian in South Africa. Uh, recently, Cindy Lee wrote an article about the radical history of um, anti-apartheid movement poster design, um, particularly the project Medu, um, which a friend of mine in South Africa sent on, and it was just uh, a great text. Um, so <laughs> thank you for, for taking the time to, to join uh, today, uh, Free City Radio on CKUT. Um, maybe just first, um, can you um, introduce a bit yourself, your work, and why, why working on this text was important for you? Sure, sure. Well, firstly, thank you so much for the invitation. It's a delight to speak with you. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I, I enjoy writing about art in different ways. And I think it's, um, it's an interesting way to have conversations about different things. Um, in this instance, though, I, I wasn't, I did not write about the radical history of posters per se. And I wasn't necessarily interested um, uh, either academically or creatively um, uh, in posters, but then I got this book. Um, so what had happened was I'd seen um, that an exhibition catalog had been produced and I was just curious about it. And most of the reviews I had read of the exhibition were really promising. The exhibition was at the Art Institute in Chicago, um, but I had not been there, I hadn't visited it. Mm -hmm. And I was just very interested in, you know, how these posted, posters had come to be shown there, mm -hmm. but mostly I just wanted the book. So I got the book and the book was really beautiful, um, but I think sometimes, and, and um, this is true for, for art and for books or for films. It's not really just enough to consume it. Yet. Or for me, I want to engage with it more. And um, this is what happened with the publication. Mm -hmm. So it didn't start out that I, I was doing research on posters or that I, I knew all that much about Medu. I was aware of the art ensemble, mm -hmm. but it started first with the book. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I came to work on it. You know, I don't have a background in, in um, doing this kind of um, work with archival material. Um, and the same applies with writing about art is, um, I mean, it's not my job and it's, it's not my academic expertise, but I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So how I, how I came to do this was just from a, the book was really beautiful mm -hmm. and it, I think it deserved to be written about. Mm -hmm. At the time when I found it, it wasn't available in South Africa yet. Um, okay. So I just found myself very eager to talk about it, but nobody had seen it yet. Um, okay. And this is because of COVID delays in shipping. But that aside, it, um, I mean, art books are expensive and this one is it's super pricey. So I also knew that uh, it's not going to be something that's consumed widely, which also made it um, 
more, I felt more compelled then to write about a bit more about it. Mm-hmm. So it yeah. was a very long answer. <laughs> well, no, that's really appreciated to have that context. Um, yeah, and it's it's also shows some points, definitely some deeply problematic issues about how art is consumed uh, and produced or reproduced in this case uh, in relation to its origins, um, which maybe we can get into a bit later. But in terms of uh, Meidu, for people who aren't familiar, um, can, you, can you give some context and background um, on, on, on this, um, well, basically on the art that is the subject of, of both the text you wrote and, 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 and the subject that's included in this book? Sure, sure, sure. So, so Meidu was, um, was an art ensemble collective um, in Botswana. Um, the bulk of the members were from South Africa, so they were in exile. This was between 1979 and 1985. Mm-hmm. So um, South Africans in exile, but a range of different other members from Botswana, Canada, Cuba, Sweden, North America. Um, so there, were, there was a mix of different people and there were visual artists, musicians, performers, writers. Amiru um, was divided. I mean, it was structured like, um, or it was organized in the same way as a political um, party with certain divisions. So there was mm. publications and research, there was film, photography, theater, music, mm. graphics. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote about the posters, mm-hmm. but though that was just one output, you know. Um, in the, in the theatre group, they were putting on protest plays and travelling around Botswana, or um, they were providing community workshops on photography. So made was not just um, these posters. And the output of the posters um, wasn't the only visual, um, you know, um, content that was produced. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found super interesting was that they um, called themselves cultural workers, so they mm-hmm. weren't artists. Um, and it's very interesting to think about the context in which they were doing this work, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously very different uh, to how I'm consuming it now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that, that, that was Medu. Um, I think there were about 60 of them. And wow. um, yeah. The posters again. I just I think that that's um, that was my way of learning about Meru, um, and many people associate this this collective specifically with the posters. But it is important to note that they did a lot of different things, um, and they had members that had very different um, specializations as well. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe just highlight a few of the po- and thank you thank you for highlighting the sort of broad nature of the cultural workers that were part of Medu. Uh, that's obviously very important. Um, but could you maybe highlight a few of the posters that really spoke to you? And and seeing your text, um, actually some of the posters I'd seen before um, shared, you know, within activist networks over the years, but I never had the context that your article p- provided, which was really great, um, you know, in terms of just getting that sense of the the context of, of Medu and, and also 
recalling, you know, which some, you know, activists in South Africa have talked about, obviously, um, the, 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 the importance of the um, activists and cultural workers who were exiled just on, in, in other African nations uh, in the context of apartheid. Sure. Um, you know, it's funny you say that because a lot of the images um, were familiar to me too, and I didn't know the context. And so there is definitely, and, and I'm very mindful that, um, you know, I'm, I'm in Switzerland at the moment, and I, I, um, it, it definitely deepens my own um, mm. interest in knowing more about things happening in South Africa or that have happened in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So maybe where before, if I've seen um, an image, I, I won't interrogate it in the same way as I am doing now. Mm. Um, some of the posters that really hit home for me do sort of speak to this thing that you're saying, like um, the kind of posters that situate this work within a regional struggle. So mm-hmm. um, there's one called the people shall defeat aggression. Um, And it's got some um, um, like rifles pointing up in the air. And then it says in Angola, Botswana, Lesotho, Mozambique, Namibia, Swaziland, Zimbabwe. Um, And so, I mean, there are many many of the posters that visually um, uh, affect me or resonate with different imaginaries I have, but um, what I, I appreciate about the publication is they do quite a lot of work to um, the editors, um, Antoine and um, Felicia. They, they've, they were quite concerted in highlighting the role of Botswana um, as a very interesting country, but also Khabarone as like the... Um, just the sight of bringing together um, people from all over, but acting as a node for this sort of regional um, support. And it's, I I mean, I really appreciate it because I think differently now, I mean, I recently spoke to somebody, an artist from Namibia, Mm -hmm. who was talking about, um, you know, in Namibia's war, uh, it's not discussed as much how it affected Angola and how refugee camps in Angola um, are, you know, there's still a trauma that aren't, that isn't dealt with. Mm-hmm. Anyway, long story short is that um, a lot of the posters are, they're really, they're evocative and, and um, some are more beautiful than others. But mm-hmm. the takeaway for me was thinking differently about the region mm. and regional, um, like if it's, Hmm. When you when you say it speaks to your imaginary uh, or or sort of ideas that you you have, could you expand on that a bit more? Sure. I mean, um, like uh, you know, I was born in 1988, so mm-hmm. like I'm not um, I don't have apartheid memories, but I I obviously have like I mean I, I'm like born in that limbo time. Um, and so a lot of the um, the visuals I have are quite blurry or they're from my parents or they're from archival footage of people voting for the first time. It's not like I was going up, when is Mandela coming home? You know, I wasn't, um, mm-hmm. I wasn't old enough for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what's interesting 
I think with the posters is that because it's over this period that I'm not privy to, you know, like um, mm -hmm. between 1979 and 1985, mm -hmm. my parents were also, they were students at that time. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, like the violence of that time makes it hard to um, communicate, uh, you know, mm -hmm. how they live and, 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 um, like not many of these posters are still around for me to mm -hmm. go, okay, or, or no, how can I say this? They're, they're posters that serve the purpose and there's documentation of time, but there isn't the same kind of proliferation of visuals for me to map things out in the same way as they are now. Mm. So when I think, so when I think about like this struggle for freedom, um, they're very like um, stereotypical mm -hmm. images that come to mind, mm -hmm. and you know whether you know whether they're traumatic ones of like student protests or they are the hopeful ones of you know the queue. You know this is quite a symbolic thing of people queuing to vote for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't have I don't have visuals of um, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know like. Um, trade union posters um, mm -hmm. and how they were campaigning. Mm -hmm. So so for the different elements that would build up that like the, the aesthetics of my imaginary, um, you know, it's a bit patchy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and what's really great about this publication is that um, I think they've got about 90 posters in it. It could be 80 or 90, I'm not mm -hmm. sure, but it's quite a lot. And it's it spans a breadth of different um, theme so that mm -hmm. it's not just this um, uh, protesting students or, um, you know, just, I don't know, it, it does a different thing to look at a, a period of, of different kind of content that no doubt comes from Medu not only being visual artists or not mm -hmm. only being musicians, you know, they were, they were obviously drawing from um, different domains of cultural work. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, just, yeah, uh, like expanding a little bit more on Medu and, and sort of the role of cultural workers in locating uh, history. Um, often, you know, um, if we think about the post-apartheid uh, era, it's often sort of categorized in very um, neoliberal, simplistic terms that, uh, that remove a lot of that collective struggle that was happening, not just in South Africa, but throughout the the region really. Um, and what I, 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 just seeing your text and the posters, it, it sort of really located the anti-apartheid struggle within that, that history, that active history of social movements, of, you know, resistance of like a language of internationalism, which is sort of different from the ways that um, the South African struggle, at least globally, is often located. Um, I don't know if, 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 if you have any thoughts about, about the importance of posters in sort of, and, and locating um, the struggle within, within sort of a more, I don't know, grassroots or sort of movement-oriented history. Mm, I mean, I think the two things that you're saying um, that are, I would comment on the first is, um, you know, this uh, discussion of post-apartheid South Africa in 
neoliberal terms and you know being removed from collective struggle and um, or social action. I think it's also important for me at least. I think of South Africa as a brand new country <laughs> with like a lot of shit to deal with. You know, okay. it's not it was like it was a new um, mm -hmm. a new dispensation. No, it was a whole new world, and a lot wow. of the activists got subsumed into. Um, trying to build a brand new governance system. Hmm. So I'm generally quite hesitant about um, looking at it as a bit of a binary and going, you know, hmm. uh, there's this neoliberal, um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying it's not problematic, but um, mm -hmm. it, it is very important for me to think about democratic South Africa as like with all its problems and um, victim to the global market as it is, um, that the, the result of, of collective action and grassroots movements is the reason that there's this country. And maybe the, mm -hmm. a lot of the, the gloss of that was lost with like the nuts and bolts of building a state. Um, because I think, and I think it's important to go like, uh, the Republic of South Africa is a, a new state that didn't exist before because the majority of people could not participate in it. Mm. So, mm -hmm. so that's that's the first thing I, I would say. And then, mm -hmm. I mean, with posters, well, why I like the Medu posters um, is that it's so niche and like, and when I say niche, I mean um, it's. There's something very special about artists like applying themselves to, to mass produce, you know, that's not, um, I don't know if, and, and when I say mass produce, I don't mean um, churn out stuff um, for, for profit, right? Mm -hmm. So, so this, um, and, and, you know, I think, I think posters are special for that, um, whether it's, um, for grassroots political movements or for trade unions, um, they they had a very specific moment in time where they could, as a medium, do this thing. Mm -hmm. But I think Medu doing that thing um, as like a, you know just like an enclave of like creativity mm -hmm. is a really interesting meeting point of of um, of world of different worlds, you know. Um, so, so I think that, you know, it's such a particular um, historical occurrence of meeting of different things, mm -hmm. you know, in this like limbo, almost like a frontier of history mm. in this border area, you know. Um, so it's, it's that sort of entanglement of different things that I think makes the posters of Medu super interesting. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing all that um, and and giving some um, context and, and sharing some of your thoughts about the political identity of South Africa today. I, I really appreciate that. So in a sense, those posters are almost like traveling to like the existence of an entire different political space in some ways. How do you mean traveling to? Like, well, like how do you if, if you just in re referencing what you were just saying, like if you think about post-apartheid South Africa as a as a sort of a a, a project that that has um, 
come into being as as a new form, a new a, a new political uh, um, nation project process. Um, in some ways, those posters are like a window or a portal to, you know, thinking about mm -hmm. another world that existed in the same geographical space. Yeah, and I mean, it's also um, it's interesting that it they they weren't produced in South Africa, you know, mm -hmm. and um, it was smuggled and destroyed upon arrival in the country. So mm -hmm. I like this visual that you're doing of the portal. I think it's um, it's quite apt, especially when I think about um, like Botswana's border with South Africa was was quite porous, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, I think I mean I imagine that a lot of um, relics from this time probably have this effect. I, I mean I can't say it for myself because I am only of post-apartheid, you know, um, mm -hmm. or at least transition, but. Um, you know, speaking speaking to some of the members um, and and how they reflect on on looking at the posters and thinking about their time in Medu, it definitely does have that um, like portal effect. Mm. Um, but I, I do also imagine that a lot of cultural production from that time is the same. Hmm. 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 Right on. Right on. I like that. I like that. Um, but I, I, I wanted to just jump back to uh, something else you were mentioning, um, which I think is, uh, you mentioned Namibia um, and of course Botswana, uh, but that regional context to the um, struggle against apartheid and, and, and the importance of understanding how, like in the case of Namibia, for example, there was um, you know, an important struggle um, for freedom. Also, of course, Angola, bit more north um but yeah i mean just in terms of like i this is a little bit uh, uh, going away from the posters but i just think just just for people who who are watching and listening to understand a bit more about i mean somebody might say oh well, well these posters that medu worked on were created in botswana why was that the case can if if you could share a bit more about that regional Context? I mean, I don't want to, I mean, I like, I, I just have to be clear, though, that I'm not a historian, so I might have... No problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no problem. Um, but I, I think Botswana um, is is an interesting site for these to have been produced. Um, mm. And Zimbabwe, Zambia, like, nearer countries to South Africa. Mm. Um, but, of course, many other further further up um, African countries played host to exiles. Um, and I mean, I, I can't speak about the other um, struggles in other countries. I, I mean, I'm, I only investigated um, what it was or, or the fact of exiles in Botswana. And, and most of them had come from being in exile somewhere much further. So whether that was North America or um, Tanzania, you know, places much further away than Botswana, which is like a few hours away from South Africa by car. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I mean, uh, when, when speaking about regional involvement in the struggle, um, the, the point I'm speaking about here is in the housing of of, um, 
of people who could not live in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and that, that translated to art cultural for cultural workers, but also there is of course the militant side of, of, of course, yeah. Of and I mean, they're not separate as well. And this is another thing that's so interesting about me is that, I mean, like, um, this isn't an article, but one of the people I spoke to just spoke about when you're involved in this ocean of struggle, mm. um, and, and all this this war, you know, this ocean of resistance um, to still be making music or to, and, and that music's obviously channeling your main agenda, which is to overcome this vast depression, but you're still mm-hmm. making music, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that for me was so interesting because it is, you know, like I find myself doing it now going like, putting this binary um, or making this division between the militant work and the artwork. Mm. Um, and, and I don't think, and, and this is why I made it, like I say, so interesting because they were happening in tandem, you know, they were supporting mm-hmm. young South Africans um, going into Botswana who were facilitating their military training through the African National Congress and other parties providing mm. that at the same time as teaching them printmaking, you know, Mm. um so so yeah it's really it's fascinating i mean it's it's horrible because uh i I don't want to romanticize the fact of the vastness because it um it it shouldn't have been happening Mm -hmm. but the fact of it Mm -hmm. happening um Mm -hmm. it's you know it's um it's impressive respect to that um cindy lee thank you so much for taking the time to speak today my pleasure thank you so much for inviting me thanks that was a conversation with cindy lee mcbride uh, who is a writer and researcher from south africa uh, currently based in switzerland uh, and recently wrote an article called the anti-apartheid posters of medu uh, Medu was an important network of artists and cultural workers in Southern Africa, active in the context of the anti-apartheid uh, resistance movement in the late 20th century. They were actually based in Botswana, but had members all around the world in their um, posters and their art. There was also musicians involved, as we heard in the interview, um, were focused not just on the anti-apartheid struggle, in South Africa, which of course was a focus, but also broader movements for liberation and justice. This is Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph, uh, here in Montreal. Thanks for listening uh, today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, it is the 20th of April, and um, this is the 38th edition of the podcast. Um, I would also just note that this is the Um, 20th anniversary of the protests of the free trade area of the Americas. Um, This was a massive mobilization that took place in April 2001, not far from Montreal and Quebec City, about two and a half hours north. Around 60,000 people protested the FTAA. Um, That was a proposal for a hemispheric, quote-unquote, free trade agreement that was shaped largely by a corporate capitalist orientation in regards to labor, the land, the environment, 
um, the mass mobilization against the FTAA, which is sort of like a hemispheric version of what was the North American Free Trade Agreement, was protested widely by Indigenous people um, throughout the Americas, but also environmentalists and labor unions, uh, social activists. Um, the protests in Quebec City were central to the network of uh, grassroots activists um, throughout North America, working at the time to um, really develop a critique of corporate globalization. And the fact that 60,000 people took the streets, I think, is really uh, important to remember. Um, also, I would just note that at some of the protests, um, there was direct efforts to um, breach the security perimeter that uh, was surrounding the conference center where um, politicians were meeting uh, be behind uh, thousands of police and military-style security forces uh, of the Sécurité de Québec. And also police forces had come from all over the place. Um, there was a huge security perimeter and people actually tore down sections of the security perimeter to protest um, the fact that the summit was taking place without any transparency. And also just to protest in essence the nature of the free trade area of the Americas as a colonial oriented document and proposal for free trade that really defined economic relationships in the Americas um, within the context and the framework historically of colonialism, um, the commodification of the land, resources and people. The FTA died, uh, that agreement, the free trade area of the Americas didn't happen. And I think that it's really important to connect what happens on the streets. Uh, there was also a huge mobilization in Ecuador uh, around the same time, actually in the fall of 2001. Um, because the fact is, is that social movements throughout the Americas, you know, particularly in Ecuador and Brazil and Bolivia and Chile, were protesting also the free trade area of the Americas. Um, and um, they, I think, played an important role in the social networks that led to the election of many uh, left uh, governments in in the Americas, uh, left governments that moved away from the American Canadian dominated frameworks of free trade for the Americas, including this um, FTAA agreement that was cancelled, um, and that opened up space. I think the protests opened up space for social movements to demand um, more uh, of a different orientation that removed the colonial frameworks of economic development. Now, the alternatives um, that were floated and developed, including ALBA, um, the uh, economic agreement uh, between uh, nations in uh, South America was an alternative to the free trade area of the Americas. Um, but what's important, I think, to remember, and this is often forgotten, is the fact that social movements really did push the elections of a number of um, left governments. And those social movements were in tension uh, with those governments. It wasn't like a smooth relationship. But I think that dynamic is interesting and important to think about, that 
social movement, governmental dynamic that happened in Latin America in the years after the free trade area of the Americas uprisings that took place uh, on the streets. Um, and um, must be underlined that indigenous people played a huge role in the mobilizations against this corporate oriented, violent free trade agreement, which was eventually canceled. So those protests, um, which I remember deeply, uh, that took place in April 2001, that was 20 years ago today, that the carnival against capitalism took place um, and the fence around the security summit, securitized summit of the free trade area of the Americas was, was breached. So I just wanted to share a few reflections on that too. Um, this has been the 38th edition of Free City Radio. I'm your host in Montreal, Stefan Christoph. We uh, share with you a new edition every Tuesday. So uh, if you like what you're hearing, I'd really encourage you to uh, tell a friend to subscribe and to be involved. Um, you can write me anytime at stefan.christoff at gmail.com. Also, uh, you can find me on Twitter at spirodon, S-P-I-R-O-D-O-N. And Free City Radio is on Apple Podcasts, so you can subscribe, just look it up, and tell a friend if you can, give us a review. This is Grassroots, it's just me with uh, social networks um, to share the word. Um, so it's been a pleasure to um, share some voices and reflections uh, with you today. Um, I'm going to go out with a piece of music from Isaac Hayes. This is Ike's Mood. And I'll be back next Tuesday um, with a new episode. So thanks again to Cindy Lee McBride for being part of the podcast this week. And uh, shout out to all uh, my friends from all around the Americas uh, who I protested with in Quebec City 20 years ago to mark um, the hemispheric resistance to the free trade area of the Americas Agreement, which was eventually defeated. So right on to that. Mm -hmm.